ask myself that often. And in that moment, the shame and, and the, just whatever the enemy was holding over my head was completely gone. Because as soon as we are no longer in isolation, we are no longer um, a target for what the enemy has to tell us. And in that moment, in that conversation, after I confessed to her, it opened up this amazing uh, conversation, probably like over an hour long, eh, Betty, about, about why we pray. And the presence and the Spirit of God was so active in that conversation. And I want to ask you this morning, um, do you have somebody who you can call in your, in your inner circle or in your godly community? And I'm not here to preach that this morning, although every chance I get to kind of squeeze in the importance of, of community and godly community, I will do it. Someone to pursue Christ is priceless because he delights in this pursuit and we know that he pursues us. He wasn't mad at me or, or disappointed like, oh, Megan, why are you doubting prayer? No, and this question stemmed because this past fall was a really, really difficult season for me. I was uh, working full time in my teaching job and then I was working part time for Alpha Canada. I, I had to take some time off work to go to BC for a little bit, and then I was up in Muskoka a little while after that, and I was just so busy. And, and in hindsight, looking back, probably my biggest mistake was when I told my community group that I couldn't host anymore, and that I didn't have time to meet on a regular basis. Because when my anxiety and my depression hit around making big career choices and, and possible changes in my career path, around dealing with difficult bosses, if anybody can relate, and, and essentially just trying to keep my head above water. I didn't have anybody with me praying for me in real time. And sure, they would pray with me over text or, or phone call, whatever, but never underestimate the power of when two or three are gathered in prayer. When the enemy tries to bring you down with doubt or depression, isolation, shame, all he needs to be dispelled is another child of God saying, yeah, me too like Betty did for me in that conversation. And when I tried to pray, I couldn't see it for myself. Uh, when I tried to pray and nothing physical or tangible was happening, I'd get so discouraged and I'd just give up. And I just needed somebody else to pray for me. And if you were here last week, Pastor Michael preached on when Elijah prayed for his servant, Lord, open his eyes, let him see. And sometimes we just need somebody to do that for us. Elijah said there are far more on our side than there are on theirs. And I just wonder, has that ever been you too? What have you stopped praying for? And it got to the point where I, I started asking myself the question that I opened with is, why do I bother? God, you're sovereign. You know everything. Psalm 139 tells us that you know when we sit, when we stand, when we travel, when we rest. I can never escape the spirit of God because you knit me together in my mother's womb. You know every hair, every one of them on my very thick head of hair is counted. Every day of my life is written in your book. You know my needs and my wants even before I do. So why do I need to ask you for something that you already know I need? You see me. You see us. You see us struggling, and for some, it might be depression or, or anxiety like me. For some, maybe it's financial struggles or lust or grief or past trauma or disappointment, whatever it is. Lord, you see us. You know us better than we know ourselves. Can't you just give me what I need without me having to get vulnerable and really emotional and pray for it? And I humanized this thought a little bit further, and I thought, like, if I saw somebody who, who was in need, maybe they dropped something and their arms were already full, I would just go over to them and pick it up for them. Like, I wouldn't wait for them to, you know, awkwardly and embarrassingly ask me for help. And I remember this thought because shortly after that thought, God impressioned on my heart and he said, well, Megan, what if they don't want your help? And in that moment, I was reminded that even though God is sovereign, he will never barge in uninterrupted on my life. No, he stands at the door and he knocks and he waits patiently to be invited in on every aspect. Pastor and, and champion of 24-7 prayer, Pete Gregg, says that God respects us too much to ride roughshod over our lives or over our free wills. And he loves us too much to force us to do his bidding. He comes where he is welcomed and he waits to answer until he is called. So I was a step closer to answering my question, why do I bother praying? I voice my needs because God waits patiently for me to invite him into my life. And praying also means activating my own will. Because God has given us the most incredible gift of choice, 
of free will. He's not going to force me to do his bidding, but rather he wants to partner with me and mold my will, our will, to match his. But first, I need to call on him. And this is true of a man in the Bible named Bartimaeus. And I'm sure that you've heard the story maybe many times of blind Bartimaeus. And you're right, this isn't a classical story that you would associate with prayer. And I didn't either, until this pursuit of why we bother praying led me to this story of blind Bartimaeus. So Bartimaeus was a beggar. He was blind, and he lived in Jericho. And he would sit on the outskirts of the road, maybe just outside of Jericho. His cloak would have been outstretched in front of him, and he would have been begging for money. And if it wasn't already obvious by his appearance, uh, what he was doing, that he was a marginalized member of society, it would have been obvious by the fact that he was sitting on the outskirts of town, not really involved, not really an acknowledged member of the society. So we pick up here with Bartimaeus hearing that the Messiah is on his way. And Mark recounts this story in chapter 10 of his gospel. Verse 46, he says, A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. And, G and he, and, uh, sorry, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. So Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. So Jesus is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, and he hears his name being called. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I want to pause here really quickly just to paint you a picture of, of what this space and time would have been like. Jesus would have been um, followed by the number of people that he had accumulated in his journeys, as well as the local people in Jericho, as well as, think of it, animals and probably livestock, all that kind of stuff. My point is, is that it would have been noisy. It would have been really loud. And yet, Jesus hears the cry of the marginalized. His ears are tuned to hear every voice. It is impossible for God not to hear every sound that comes out of our mouths. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus is not often referred to as the son of David, at least not in Mark's gospel. But Old Testament scripture points to the Messiah being from the royal tribe of Judah, the royal line of David. And people in Jericho in that place and time would have been very well versed in Old Testament scripture. So instantly... Instantly, Bartimaeus is acknowledging that the man passing through town is the Messiah, the Savior, the one that Scripture has been pointing to for years and years, the awaited one. And instantly, he believes. And remember, without seeing, this faith catches the attention of Jesus. I wonder, do we start our prayer times with the same acknowledgement of his holiness, of his promises as Bartimaeus did? Hmm. As Bartimaeus is yelling, he's met by anger of the local people. Be quiet, they yell at him. And I think, you know, our culture really isn't much different. Uh, I don't know if there's any other teachers in the room, but we've been on strike the past couple of weeks, and, and we've gotten a lot of be quiet, a lot of go back to work, you know. <laughs> Anyways, my point is, is that the difference between us and Bartimaeus now is that we are more of a people-pleasing culture. I don't know if you are, I am. I'm a people-pleasing person. And so anytime I'm met with opposition or um, conflict or anything like that, I will change my ways so quickly. I hate conflict. I don't like doing things that make people mad or uncomfortable or, or whatever. But not Bartimaeus. He pursues. He persists. And he only shouted louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So verse 49, when Jesus heard this, he stopped and he said, tell him to come here. So notice that Jesus is talking to his disciples here. 
Jesus chooses to use us and include us in this miracle. Like, it would have been so easy for Jesus to have a one-on-one conversation with Bartimaeus. He could have easily gone over and, and talked to this man sitting on the roadside, and why didn't he? Because then the disciples wouldn't have had the opportunity to encourage Bartimaeus to be involved in this miracle. Come on, they said, cheer up. He's calling you. And how amazing is it to be able to utter those words to a family member, to a friend, or in this case, it would have been a complete stranger. But being a part of and knowing that you are a part of the great co-mission of bringing people to Jesus is the most fulfilling way to live. So verse 50, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. So while I was reading and studying this story, I learned something about the coat of a beggar. You see, the coat of a beggar would have been like his livelihood. It would have been his his one possession that indicated that he was a working man. And similarly to the coat of a beggar would have been the boat of a fisherman or the booth of a tax collector. This is how significant the coat of Bartimaeus would have been. It was like his source of income. So the fact that he throws it aside and probably never to be found again because he's blind and it's a really busy marketplace. He, he probably wouldn't have found that again. And in fact, the Greek word for throw aside is apobolo, which means to let go of or to abandon. This is of huge significance. Bartimaeus is saying that he's abandoning what he used to know, what he used to do, what previously helped him to be successful in pursuit of the one Savior. In pursuit of the one who scripture says gives abundantly more than we could hope, ask, or imagine. So throwing his coat away, letting go of the past, signifies and tells us that Bartimaeus was coming to Jesus expectant. Expectant that whatever Jesus had for him was far better than anything that Bartimaeus could have had for himself. And so, so far, if I think about, you know, praying Bartimaeus style, I was over two. Often I would start my prayer time straight away into petition, into asking, Dear God, please. And I wouldn't stop, as Bartimaeus did, to acknowledge who I was about to engage in conversation with. And oftentimes, as bad as it sounds, when I was praying, I wouldn't be believing that what I was saying could or would make a difference. God will do it with or without me, I thought. He doesn't need me, a lowly human, to ask him for it. Which is why verse 51 stopped me in my tracks. I've, I've read this verse before, I've spoken on this verse before. If you've been on an Alpha retreat with me, you might remember we, we talk about this. But Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And I just think to myself, seriously, Jesus, seriously? Like, seriously, the award for the most rhetorical question ever in history goes to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What do you want me to do for you? Let's see, this man is blind. He's a beggar. He's probably homeless. He probably, you know, has a less than pleasing aroma. If every one of us in this room right now were to close our eyes and picture blind Bartimaeus, we could easily picture him. Isn't it obvious, Jesus, what he wants you to do for him? Hey, how about heal his blindness? How about bless him with wealth or the favor to get a better job? Food, maybe some clothing, new clothes, lodging, a bath. And those are only the physical requests that I can see based on the appearance and the circumstances of Bartimaeus at that time. Never mind, you know, the spiritual and the mental things that he's feeling as a result of being a marginalized member of society. I wouldn't be able to tell those things, but Jesus, you could. You know our every thought, so why do you bother asking, what do you want me to do for you? And yet, Jesus asks him, and he asks me, and he asks you. See, God has given us the most amazing gift of free will. God doesn't need me to ask for things. He doesn't need you to ask for things, but he asks us to. He's God. He draws it out of me by proposing the question, what do you want me to do for you? Charles Spurgeon says, asking is the rule of the kingdom. 
Jehovah says to his own son, ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. If the royal and divine son of God cannot be exempted from the rule of asking that he may have, you and I cannot expect that the rule be relaxed in our favor. If you may have everything by asking and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. So it wasn't enough for Bartimaeus to just sit in the crowd wishfully hoping that Jesus would heal him. No, prayer is relational. But okay, so let's say that Bartimaeus had been healed by the mere passing of Jesus. Or in my wishful scenario, say that Jesus was passing by and knew the thoughts of every person in the crowd and healed them without actually having to be asked for it. Then Bartimaeus would have never had the opportunity to follow Jesus and be in his presence on a continual and daily basis, the way that you and I can be when we pray. So Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus replies, asking for his sight. And it is through faith that Jesus heals him, and Bartimaeus then follows him down the road. And oh, I just have to wonder to myself, how much more would the faith of Bartimaeus have grown by actually following behind the physical body of God. Not just in the, you know, the spiritual way that you and I follow God today, but actually following behind his physical body. Watching the way that Jesus moves, his garments moving and his hair swaying with every breeze and every step. Watching the way his eyes would glimmer and his mouth would move as he would talk to people. Listening to his stories and learning from his examples Wow, far more growth and transformation than Bartimaeus would have ever gotten sitting in the crowd wishfully hoping that Jesus would answer his prayers. And all because he voiced his needs out loud. And this is prayer. Prayer brings transformation. So friends, what have you, what have I, what have we stopped praying for? Maybe you've been like me and you've found yourself discouraged by the lack of, of evidence or of tangible physical results of your prayer, maybe you've been discouraged by the lack of sight. But through Bartimaeus, we learned that asking the Father for what we need and even for what we want, we're further invited into relationship with Jesus. You see, the road didn't end in Jericho. Bartimaeus followed Jesus down the road into Jerusalem. And we know here in Jerusalem, it's where Jesus would have died on the cross. So by voicing our needs, we invite Jesus to heal us, to speak with us, to disciple us, to transform us. By voicing our needs, we become vulnerable, and I become emotional. But by voicing our needs, we we incredibly impart this trust on the one we are speaking to. By voicing our needs and our prayers, we are essentially saying to God, I trust you. And watch your faith grow as you say that. So petitioned prayer isn't only about changing things in the physical world and in the spiritual world, but it's also about changing us. God doesn't need me to ask him for things. He doesn't need you to ask for things. But he asks you to. Making us more humble, more patient, more loving, more teachable. And increasing our faith in our Heavenly Father. And don't be dismayed or discouraged if you're having trouble hearing from God, because that will happen. But remember, in the story of Bartimaeus, God uses his disciples. And this is why community is so important. Here it is again, and I will not apologize for it, but we need to be in community groups. We need to be shepherded by people who are being shepherded by God. Come on, he's calling you, they said. And maybe you're in a position this morning of needing to hear that. So I stand before you as a disciple of God, and I say, come on, he's calling you. And I pray that your ears would hear wherever the emphasis needs to be. Maybe for you, it's that he is calling you. And it's so easy in our day-to-day lives, sometimes we get, we get lost, and oh yeah, I go to church, oh yeah, I read the Bible, and we lose the reverence of God. But he is calling you. Or maybe this morning you need to hear that he's calling you. What is he calling you into? Is he calling you to join a group? 
Is he calling you to serve on a team? Is he calling you to be more involved and get off the roadside like Bartimaeus and step into the community? He's calling you. Or maybe you need to hear that he is calling you. Friends, you are not a marginalized member of society like Bartimaeus would have been. You belong at Mountainside Church. You belong in Binbrook. You belong in your family. You belong as a child of God. He is calling you. Or maybe entirely different, you're in a position today where you need to start saying this to others. You need to be the disciple who looks at a friend or a family member or a neighbor, coworker, and says, hey, come on, he's calling you. And however that may look, inviting them to church or one of our outreach events. But be somebody who engages with people for Christ. And don't be afraid or, or discouraged by evangelism. Because evangelism is just engaging in a conversation that the Holy Spirit has already started. We're not alone. So in closing, I want to give you some practical takeaways to apply to your prayer life from the story of Bartimaeus. Number one is to start your prayer time with a moment of stillness and acknowledgement. Son of David. Write down some different names for God, like Jehovah, or the Prince of Peace, God Almighty. Rest in those for a minute or two and just prepare your heart to understand who you are about to engage in conversation with. The God of the universe who hung every star, the trillions of them, and calls them by name, is sitting waiting patiently for you to talk to him. Number two is know whose voice to listen to. This will hugely affect your prayer life. Are you going to listen to the voice of the crowds or of this world when they tell you essentially to sit down and shut up? Or maybe that's your own voice. And maybe that's the only way that you know how to self-talk is to be discouraged and, and, and let your anxiety tell you that what you're doing doesn't matter. Or are you going to tune into the voice of the Holy Spirit or somebody in your godly community when they tell you, come on, he's calling you. Number three is to come expectant. Come expectant that your prayers will be heard by our Heavenly Father. Come expectant that what you are about to receive is far better than what you could even pray for or imagine on your own. And finally, and I'm going to ask the band if they want to come back up and get ready as we close. Number four is to follow Jesus. Follow him down the road. We know that they were going to Jerusalem where Jesus would die on the cross, but where we also know that the, his death on the cross led to life, to our life, to a barrier-free relationship with God. And if you're here today and you've never solidly made that decision to follow Jesus, come on, he's calling you. I encourage you to do that. But here's the thing is, will you answer? Remember, God is standing at the door knocking and he will never barge in uninterrupted on your life. The choice of free will is very strong and at play here. Or maybe you've already made this decision to follow Jesus, but like Bartimaeus, you have been sitting on the outskirts of town. Maybe that means the outskirts of mountainside, the outskirts of, of whatever that may be. And again, I tell you, come on, he's calling you. He's calling you into involvement in our community. He's calling you off the sidelines and, and into discipleship with his friends and his, and his followers and his children. He's calling you to join a community group, to join us for deeper prayer nights the first Sunday of every month. Next week is our last week of our, tw our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Maybe he's calling you to hop on Instagram at 7 a.m., right, Pastor Mike, and, and, and join us for prayer. Or maybe he's calling you to volunteer in some capacity at Mountainside. And, and I heavily place emphasis on that because, yes, we are a small church and we run solely on the volunteer servant hearts of our people, but also because when we are involved in any way, shape, or form, we get discipled by each other. We learn names and not just faces. And if that is you this morning and you are feeling the gentle and loving call of God, I encourage you to please act on it in, in whatever way that looks for you. Whether that's coming to talk to me about joining a community group or filling out the form on your chair about ways that you want to serve and be involved and discipled at Mountainside, 
please do. So why do I bother praying? This is just the tip of the iceberg. But I bother to pray because he asks me to. And as Spurgeon says, if you may have everything by asking and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. He says to us, come on, I'm calling you. And as soon as we answer that call, then we're asked the most amazing question. What do you want me to do for you, he says. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? I would love to pray for you. So Jesus, son of David, everlasting father, Messiah, Yahweh, Lord of lords and King of kings, mighty counselor, wonderful savior, Emmanuel, we acknowledge who you are this morning and we are in awe of you, Lord. God, I pray for everybody in the room this morning that we would be a people like Bartimaeus who believe before we see. Lord, may we come into prayer expectant that whatever you have for us is far greater than what we could imagine or do or have for ourselves. Lord, may we be a people who listen to your voice, not the voice of the world or even if we have our own negative thoughts, but may we listen to you, Holy Spirit. And God, may we continue to follow you. Lord, would you engage with us in our pursuit of the truth and of who you are, and may we follow you down the road. Lord, we pray these things in your amazing name. Amen. But God who called 
chains are gone I've been set free My God, my Savior Has ransomed me And like a flood His mercy reigns An ending Amazing Yeah, that's a good word. That's a good word because I think we ask ourselves that question, right? Why pray? Why pray? I think you answered that, Megan. Thank you. That's good. And that's that's what we've been talking about the last couple weeks, right? Is prayer actually does make a difference, right? And, and and not just physically, but we believe that there's spiritual stuff going around too, right? Like like the scripture talks about, and prayer moves and, and changes things, and 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 we just need to trust Him, right? And and I want to let you know, as the pastor. Uh, of here at Mountainside is is we are a praying church. This is what we do. We we do, we actually don't need to have uh, the you know everything perfect and this kind of thing. It's, it's we're relying on God and and we're trusting Him as He leads us and He's leading us the right direction. But it's it's the foundation of it is prayer though. Foundation is the prayer. Okay, um, or <laughs> prayer is the foundation. Yes. Uh, no, I really appreciate that word, Megan. Uh, who thinks Megan should preach again sometime, right? Am I right? Am I right? That was, uh, that was, a, that was amazing. That was a, first time ever preaching on a Sunday, right? First time, yeah? That was, yeah, that's, that's awesome. We're proud of you, Megan. That's, that's, you did a great job. Um, so just as, just as we close off, I, I'm going to invite the ushers forward. Uh, we're going to take up some giving now. If you want to be a part of what we're doing financially here at Mountainside Church, uh, like we always say, you can give through cash or check through the, the plates here. Uh, or if not, we have a laptop set up at the back. You can give online uh, or just from your phone or online or anything like that, uh, you, can, you can give. Uh, and as that's happening, I want to let you know uh, about something that's happening. Uh, what, what time is it? It's, let's see, it's like, okay, 12 or three. So maybe let's say 12, 20, uh, we're gonna have a partnership meeting uh, at, at 12, 20. Uh, and basically, we're going to go out where the youth meet, junior high out there, and we'll just have a quick partnership meeting for about an hour. So if you are a church partner, uh, this is for you. And, and basically, if you don't know, church partnership is when uh, you have made the decision to say, yes, this is my church home. And, uh, you know, this is my church family. I, I, I give here. I'm committed here. I serve here. Uh, and I, I want to invite you, if, if you're not a church partner yet, uh, I would love to see you become a church partner. And uh, it's just a time where we go over the finances of the church, uh, of our local church, and just kind of some different goals we have, different vision, kind of direction where we're headed. So that's right right after service, okay? Maybe uh, if you could bring a chair over, that would be great. And I wanna, I wanna uh, point out one thing too. Uh, this sheet, serving opportunities, just on every, uh, on every chair. Um, we're just looking for a new, uh, team members to, to we, have, we have a bunch of teams as you can see uh, it would be awesome if you don't have an area where you serve in right now currently at Mountainside Church it would be amazing if you could fill one of these out just leave it at the info booth at the back uh, it would be awesome and we just want to um, set you up in a spot you know you don't need to be an expert at, at anything to serve uh, we'll teach you how to do it you can even try an area out you know if you don't like it try a different area this kind of thing it would be awesome uh, if you could and I want to ask too uh, we did a big push for this a couple weeks ago if you filled it out, then if you could fill it out again um, just because <laughs> this is a little embarrassing on my part some people filled out some forms and left it at the back and we don't know where those forms went okay so if you're one of those people that filled out a thing and it's like I wonder why no one contacted me about why I can't it's because we have no idea where it is okay so if you could fill this out leave it at the back I personally will go and, and hunt it down okay at the end of service uh, that would just be appreciated and other than that I want to say God bless you thanks for being here we'll see you the same time same place next week you guys are amazing make sure you give Megan a hug or a high five after that incredible sermon encouragement. All right, God bless. See you next time. Love will fall to the earth like a crashing wave.
wrestling and in my doubts in my failures you won't walk out your great love will lead me through you are the peace in my troubled sea whoa you are the peace in my troubled sea Silence, you won't let go. In the questions, your truth will hold. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Whoa, you are the peace in my troubled sea. My lighthouse, my to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore. I won't feel what tomorrow brings, with each morning I'll rise and sing, my God's love will Strength is gone. You're the one who calls me on. You are the life, you are the fight that's in my soul. Oh, your resurrection power burns like fire in my heart. When waters rise, I lift my eyes up to your throne. 